Uh, wow. Uh, it's weird being mic that loud, but all right. Honestly, when I uh, thought I'd be teaching this class, I thought I'd be in a much smaller room, so this is a little bit intimidating for me, but it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, I was talking with my son Cameron earlier in the week, and he said, uh, uh, I was saying, boy, it's, uh, actually, I think he said, Dad, an, an hour sure is a long time to have to talk. And I was like, well, that's not really encouraging there, son. <laughs> and, uh, he's, and then he's like, well, actually, I've been on the other end of that a number of times, and you can talk way longer than an hour. So, and that, that, is, that is a true statement. So. But honestly, I, I began this study of the, per, uh, of the life of Joseph, honestly, for personal reasons. I wanted to honestly teach it to my own kids. Because Joseph is such an amazing character in Scripture. And uh, I just I wanted to be able to honestly meet with my kids and make sure they knew what they needed to learn from the life of Joseph. So that was my heart behind it. And then uh, my wife and I had some people down. And unfortunately, Jay and Courtney were there. I shouldn't say that, unfortunately. <laughs> but my wife then opens up her mouth and says, Hey, Jay. I think you ought to, you know, maybe consider letting Scott teach the life of Joseph. And so that's how this whole thing got started. It wasn't me petitioning this, I promise you that. This is me being obedient to God, I, I, I promise you. Because uh, anyway, uh, my heart behind it, honestly, was to teach my kids. So, and then, and then I am going to do that. I told Elliot, be ready. You know, Cameron, thankfully, gets to be in this class this, uh, while I'm teaching. He didn't have an option. But uh, uh, Elliot, I said... Starting in June on Saturday mornings, we're going to do this all summer long. So that's, that's my heart behind the whole thing. Uh, honestly, uh, I went to Ohio State University and studied civil engineering for the express purpose of never having to public speak in my life. <laughs> so uh, I'm an engineer. You know, we're not known for being the, the social people of the world. But you know what? God, God had other plans, honestly. And when he saves you, he does call you, and, you know, we have to go. We have to teach his truth anywhere, any way we can, and, uh, and so I am, and I will. But, uh, okay, how many of you, uh, not, not a verbal answer here, but how many of you had heroes growing up? You know, you had people you looked up to, people you pretended to be or wanted to be like. I mean, I would imagine most of us were that way. I, I guess I'm a, I was a boy, and now I'm a man, so maybe that's just a guy thing. But, you know, for me... You know, my whole life was kind of like that as a kid. I, I'm of the Star Wars generation, so I wanted to be Luke Skywalker, you know, defeat evil. And I, I had all the little action figures. In fact, I still do. Still have all their guns, believe it or not, in a separate baggie that my kids are not allowed to get out. But, uh, but I do. I have them all. I used to play with them, you know, a lot. But I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. I wanted to defeat evil in the universe. So that would have been one of my heroes. Another one would have been you know, I grew up in the 80s when the cardiac kid, Cleveland Browns, and Brian Seip, the MVP quarterback for the Browns, and I'd be out in the backyard pretending to be Brian Seip. And uh, I, uh, I, was, I was a member of the Cub Scouts one year. And uh, one of the years that, uh, the one year I was, we, we did, a, I guess it's a Pinewood Derby where you make the little cars and you race them. Well, my dad and I worked together, and we, we built this uh, little one that was a, it was, a, it was essentially a Browns helmet. It was orange with a, the stripe down it, and we called it Super Siper for Brian Sipe, and we raced it. So anyways, he's a little hero of mine. And, you know, and even now, today, I'll be honest with you, when, 
it's so kind of nice having the Browns actually be relevant and halfway decent with Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. I'm going out in the backyard at halftime throwing the ball with Cameron and Elliott, and, uh, you know, I'm pretending to be Baker Mayfield now. <laughs> you know, I'm 48 years old, but I'm Baker Mayfield. And, uh, but it's fun to do that. And yet we all want to emulate greatness, don't we? And the life of Joseph is greatness, I'm telling you. And we need to want to be like that. And uh, that's really the motivation behind this whole thing. And uh, we should want to be like Joseph. And Joseph is certainly worthy of, of being our hero. You know, despite being abandoned, abused, maligned, deceived, forgotten, and betrayed, he was never resentful. He didn't hold a grudge. He didn't become bitter. He lived his life with enormous integrity. And he, uh, and he modeled continual forgiveness. He didn't even take vengeance when he could and when he had the power to do so. And uh, I'm telling you, what a, what a man you emulate. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, the life of Joseph, we have about, it's like 12 chapters, I think, maybe, maybe 13. You've got to kind of exclude 38. But from chapter 37 and 39 all the way to the end of the book is the life of Joseph in, in your Bible. So today we're going to be looking at uh, specifically verses 1 through 11. And uh, we're going to look at the early years and his family life, essentially, to this morning. Let's start uh, reading in verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Billah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. But behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee in the earth, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. So with that, uh, we're going to look at uh, each week, we're going to look at the three applications of Scripture. The first one is going to be very short every week. And it's going to probably say the same exact thing every week. So let's read it together. The historical application is, you want to read this as actual history and not just as some story, which applies it's fictional. I'm telling you, it's not fiction. This is an actual, you know, he was actually a, 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 a historical figure in, in history. And uh, so just make sure when you're teaching your kids, and I always was careful when we're doing Bible story time, make sure they understand the difference between Aesop's fables and Bible stories. It's actual history. This is, this is actual history. So Joseph is actual history. The second one we're going to look at, and we're going to take a little more time here, but uh, it's the prophetic and doctrinal application. Um, 
Joseph is perhaps the most perfect type of Christ in all the Bible. In fact, I think there's more, more chapters committed to him than, than any other uh, type of Christ. But uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to start in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In other words, these things that were written written in the Old Testament, they were the examples for us. They were pictures of Christ. In fact, in verse 4 it says that rock was Christ. And it doesn't ever say in the Bible that Joseph was Christ. But it will become very obvious as you start studying him out that obviously he's a picture. Look in, uh, if you would, John chapter 5. Look in uh, verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse... This is Jesus speaking here. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he rode of me. I'm telling you, I remember when I first learned this, this truth that Moses wrote of Christ? I mean, that, that's a shocking statement because he never mentions the Messiah in, in, in the first five books of the Bible. That's the books that Moses wrote. Never once is, is Christ mentioned, the Messiah mentioned specifically. But he wrote in picture format. Joseph is a picture. He's trying to teach you about himself. And uh, I want you to see this in Luke. One more place here before we move on to this, uh, get you your first blank here. Uh, Luke chapter 24. This, to me, gives me goosebumps when I read this. And I can put myself in this situation. I hope you can too this morning. Look in Luke 24. We're going to look first in verse 13. And behold, two of them, that'd be two of the disciples, by the way. This is after the resurrection of Christ. Two of them, two of the disciples, went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they walked together of all these things, excuse me, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So you have Jesus here. He's walking with these two disciples. Okay, um, Look in verse 16 still. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. They didn't recognize him as Jesus yet. They, of course, you're not expecting the resurrected Savior. They're still thinking he's in the grave. So drop down to verse 25, if you would. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And check this, verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, that's your whole Old Testament, guys, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Can you imagine being one of the disciples walking along with Christ at that time in history? And, and, And Jesus Himself is now taking the Old Testament, whether He had it physically with Him or not, He's showing them, do you remember Joseph? 
do you know how he was a picture of me? Let me show you. And he's going to go through some of the things. I'm sure he went through some of the things that I'm going to get to go through with you this morning and really every week uh, that we meet here for the next 12 weeks. And I'm, it's, it's amazing. And not only did he do, do it with Joseph, he did it with Joshua, with Moses, how he's a picture of Christ, how, how the rock was Christ, how, how the, the Ark of the Covenant, Noah's Ark, uh, King David. I mean, you could go on and on. They're all a picture of Christ. He's on every page of your Old Testament. You just got to know where to look and how to find it and how to read with eyes that are opened. I'm telling you, it's, it's really a supernatural book that is, I don't know, it, it, it changed my life when I realized, wow, Moses wrote of Jesus Christ. So let that, let that work in you. And then when we're going through this, just imagine that this is what Christ was telling those two disciples on that road to Emmaus. So number one here, he, he probably likely started right here in chapter 37. Uh, you can go back there, if you would, to chapter 37 of Genesis. And by occupation, number one, Joseph was a shepherd. It says, uh, you know, in verse 2, that Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and uh, the lad was with the sons of, of Villa and, and Zilpah. All that to say, he was a shepherd. He was out with the sheep. That was their occupation. They were shepherds. In fact, later on in the story, they go to Egypt, and they're explaining, hey, our families, we're shepherds. That's what we do. And in fact, says, well, e Egyptians, they hate shepherds. That's interesting. We'll talk about that later. But, you know, I imagine he went to Psalm 23 where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or he returned to uh, John chapter 10, or there was no John chapter 10, I guess, technically. He, he just is reminding them. Remember when I was with you and I said, I am the good shepherd. That's in John 10. Um, turn to Proverbs, if you would. Proverbs 27. Always hold your place, if you would, in Genesis 37. It'll save you some time. But Proverbs 27. Just some good advice to shepherds. Verse 23. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. Guys, uh, if you're a father in here, you know what? You're a shepherd of your family, if nothing else. You know, to be a shepherd does not necessarily mean you're a pastor of a church. But you are a shepherd of your family. And it's your, your job to know the state of your flocks, your children, your wife. And it's your job to know and to look well to, to them, to make sure they're taken care of. Um, and I guess I tell you that because, you know, it's, it's a qualification for a leadership too. I mean, the first qualification is knowing, knowing your own family and loving your family and caring for them. So make sure you're taking care of your family first. That is, that is rather key. Because you don't even qualify yourself for a leadership position if you mess up your family. So, okay, moving on. Number two, also found in verse two of chapter 37. He was opposed to evil. His opposition to evil. You, you notice he says in Joseph at the end of verse two, he brought unto his father their evil report. Apparently, I don't know what they were doing. It doesn't record what they were doing. But I'm sure they had potty mouths. I'm sure they were doing all kinds of things out there. And Joseph probably understood a little more about the Lord at that time in his life. And he's going back to his father, Jacob, and saying, wow, those kids are out of control. And yet the Bible doesn't ever say that Jacob did anything about it. We're going to discuss that. But he was opposed to evil, just like Christ was opposed to evil. John 7, 7 mentions that. He, he, he exposed uh, us of our evil deeds, and that's why we hated him. Um, his father's love, number three, 
he had a special love. His father loved Joseph a little more than he loved all of his children, so much so that he made him a coat of many colors. Well, Matthew uh, 3.17, when Jesus was baptized, what, what, what comes, you know, the, the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's a special relationship there that happened between God the Father and God the Son. Yeah, we're adopted into the family, but there's something different about Christ, right? So he had his father's love. And then number four, his coat of many colors, which made him stand out among his brethren, also found in verse three. Um, You know, it was a mark of distinction, this coat of many colors. None of the other kids had it. And uh, Jesus' whole life was marked with the mark of distinction. You know, his birth, he was virgin born. His, uh, His baptism, I mean, I don't, I've seen a lot of you get baptized, and I never heard somebody say, speak from heaven after that happened. His baptism was pretty, pretty, pretty remarkable. You know, his walk, he was sinless, perfect. His, uh, his teaching was different than anything we've ever seen. In fact, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7. Then also, look at his death. I mean, no, no one's ever had a death like Christ. Very distinct uh, to where then he rose again from the dead. Um, John chapter 7, verse 46. Speaking of his teaching, the officers answered, never man spake like this man. This was very distinct. He was very different. Look in your Bibles in Luke real quick. Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at three different verses here. Verse 22, And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? They couldn't believe that he came from Joseph because he had some incredible words that come out of his mouth. There was something different about this man, Jesus. Uh, look in verse, uh, same chapter, verse 32. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. I still remember the first time my wife invited me down to First Baptist in New Philly. I'd been to various churches throughout my life, Methodist churches, uh, Christian churches. I was not a Christian at this time. I didn't know I wasn't a Christian. I would have thought I was a Christian because I went to church. That's what Christians do, right? They go to church. So I, I remember going to First Baptist for the first time, and I'm hearing the guys stand behind the pulpit. And you know what they did? I was astonished at their doctrine, for their word was with power. They spoke with authority like I'd never seen ever. I so want my family to come to our church to hear the difference when you have a man that stands up and believes this book and actually preaches it like it's actually the words of God versus some storytelling, ridiculous situation that you get almost everywhere else. Because their word isn't with power, there's no spiritual power behind it because they really don't believe it. But we believe it. And that's why Jesus' word was with power because he believed it. And look in verse uh, 36. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, what a word is this? Look at that exclamation point after that. What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits. And they come out. They obey him. I'm telling you, Jesus was different. Just like Joseph had that coat of many colors. He was very different from his brethren. Not only did he, you know, he wasn't evil either, uh, like his brethren. But um, number five, the hatred of his brethren. You see that in verse 4. We read it already, but it says that you know, his brethren hated him because his father loved him more. And you know, a lot of this is Jacob's fault, mind you. 
But God's painting a story here, painting a picture for us, and we can then see how, he, how it relates to Christ. A lot of this is Jacob's fault, but he's going to use Jacob's stupidity as a father, and he's going to work a story here to show, hey, look how he pictures Christ. It's kind of amazing how God can work a sinful family life, and he's going to say, look at this, I can paint something beautiful out of that. And uh, that's exactly what he did here. So he was hated of his brethren. You can see that in John 15. We don't need to turn there, but it says Jesus was hated without a cause. Um, but he was hated. Not only that, Joseph is hated because of his words. Look at the end of verse 4 in chapter 37. Uh, oh, wait a minute, might have the wrong reference there. And his brethren, no, no, no. Is it ver- it's verse 8, sorry. Look at the end of verse 8. And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 8, yeah, thank you, Terry. Um, Look at, and, and you don't need to turn there, but in John 8, chapter 40, just to save some time, it says, they sought to kill Jesus because he spoke the truth to them. That's why they hated him. And honestly, they were stealing his, you know, he was stealing their position, their authority. They liked the attention that all the Jews gave the leaders at that time. And whew, you take the power away from leaders that they th- and they think they deserve it. They're coming after you. And I, I've actually seen that happen to me before, but we don't need to get into that. But... Uh, it's a very sick world that you get into when people have envy. And we're going to get into the envy situation here at the end of the, 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 the message today. But uh, Joseph was to enjoy a remarkable future. You know, he dreamed those dreams and he's explaining how, you know, hey, everything came and bowed down to me. And uh, yeah, that's right. And that actually does happen in the story. And it's going to hap- it happens in Jesus' Christ's life too. Because in Philippians 2, he says, every knee is going to bow Every tongue's going to f- confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's no different. He's painting a picture. And then lastly, number eight, the last one we're going to look at today. Joseph was envied of his brethren. Look in verse 11. And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. And I give you references. All three of them talk about how Je- Je- uh, Jesus was envied of the leaders of his day. They envied that he had a word with power and he was drawing all kinds of attention. And I'm telling you what, that's exactly why they hated him, and that's why they hated Joseph, because of uh, his dreams. So, okay, just a little history before we start getting into the practical application, because as you notice in chapter 37, we start reading on the life of Joseph, and he's what, 17 years old. He's had 17 years of living before we get to this point in, in your Bible. So, first want to talk about Jacob, his father. I've kind of already mentioned a little bit about him, but... I think we know a little bit about him. He had a pretty sketchy past, didn't he? I mean, he was pretty deceitful. He was conniving. He was a manipulative guy. He uh, you know, managed to get Esau to sell him his uh, birthright. Uh, got his brother a little hungry and decided that he could work a deal and got his birthright. And then later on, he worked with his mother, Rebecca, to steal his blessing from, from his father, Jacob. So he was a pretty conniving individual. Uh, and then, so you've got to understand that. That's, that's the, the workings of when jo- Jacob became a father. You know, I don't know how he trained his kids, but, you know, you, you produce after your own kind. And uh, those older kids that, you know, he's going out in the field and Joseph's bringing back the evil report. I'm telling you, they grew up with a father that, quite frankly, had some issues. So, then you also need to know in chapter 34, just another big life event that happened in Joseph's life was his sister Dinah is raped. Raped viciously by, I, I believe, Shechem. And uh, so that happens, and not only does that happen, all the brothers get wind of her being raped, and they go and they take vengeance 
on not just Shechem, not just the guy that did it, but the whole town. And, uh, you know, just to give you the brief uh, uh, synopsis of what happens, Jacob essentially doesn't seem to be too concerned with Dinah's rape in Scripture. You don't ever hear anything about him worried about her. You don't hear anything really about him wanting to make sure his sons are handling this situation correctly. He doesn't rebuke them. He only rebukes them for his reputation. What have you done? You make my reputation stink among all the people. And I'm just like, wow. There's some problems with that type of fathering. <laughs> so he has some issues. But that's, that's what's going on in, you know, you imagine? He's a little boy. I don't know exactly how old he was, how old Joseph was when Dinah's raped, but this happened in his life. And then you have, in chapter 35... Joseph's mother, Rachel, gives birth to his little brother, uh, Benjamin, but dies in the process. So not only the young lad, Joseph, he, he, he's grown up without his mother. That's, that's a huge void in his life. And then, uh, if you would, turn to Genesis 35. And we'll get moving into the practical uh, side of things. Genesis chapter 35, look in verse 21. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. And it came to pass uh, when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben, that's his oldest son, Reuben, went and lay with Bila, his father's concubine. And Israel heard it. Period. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. I mean, I don't know. Scripture's silent on what happens there, but uh, might have been a good time to, you know, if God wanted us to know that Jacob disciplined his son it would have been a good idea to put it in there but i'm suspecting jacob didn't do much about it other than he heard of it i just find it interesting it stops there it doesn't tell us anything else but he heard it and that's where i uh i get into the practical application so number one jake joseph's father jacob had done a pretty good job of messing up his family and in light of what we just read your first bullet point Beware of passive parenting. Don't take a lax approach to this most important job. And if you would, uh, turn in your Bible to Psalm 127. And before you check out because you think your kids are older or uh, you know, it's already done for you, it's not not done for one if you're a discipler this all applies okay and uh, we all should be that anyways and if you uh, don't have kids yet you will one day perhaps and if you have kids their kids might have kids and you're a grandparent and I'm telling you grandparents ought not to be the ones that just spoil their grandkids that's a crappy grandparent okay you want to be a good biblical grandparent you might want to teach them the word of God you might want to take it very seriously that your job isn't over ever when it comes to this uh, of teaching the, the, the Word of God. And I'm going to take you to a scripture here later on that will prove that point. I'm not going to do it yet, but it's in Deuteronomy. But I'm telling you, it's very vital that you don't check out just because your children are not in your home anymore. Psalm, one, or yeah, Psalm 127, look in verse 3. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Children are His, guys. Our children... Are gods they're just on loan to us they truly are and if you look at it that way it'll protect you from so much crap that's going to happen but if you look at it as they're yours you know what they're going to become to you 
is your God's. And I've seen it happen many times. Parents worship their children, and then grandparents worship their children and their children's children, and it's sick. It's not biblical. And I'm telling you, you can't, you can't make it that. You can't make them God's. You have to remind yourself that these are on loan to you, and they're God's. The fruit of the womb is His reward. Okay? Yes, we get to enjoy them. I'm not trying to say don't enjoy them. Please hear me on that. But I'm telling you, take the responsibility seriously. And uh, uh, let's see here. Lost my place. Uh, Okay, let's go to the next bullet point. The lessons we learn from Eli. I think it's interesting that the word disciple, by the way, is a form of the word discipline. Okay, and we're going to be talking about biblical discipline and what it looks like here. But we want to learn a little bit from, from Eli here. Look in chapter, or 1 Samuel chapter 2, if you would. And guys, just so you know, we're all guilty of making our children gods at some point. I, I, I'm sure we are. I, I am. I'm not trying to say that's never happened. In fact, I, you know, we just got to guard against that. But, you know, we are sinful. Uh, but I, I just, you know, we need to examine ourselves every day and remind ourselves, wait a minute, these are not ours. They're on loan to us. And we, our job is to train them up to glorify Him. That's the whole reason that we have them that God gave them to us. So the lessons we learned from Eli. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Wow. And Eli's the head priest here, okay? He's the high priest. So they, he, he obviously did something wrong himself. And you have this recorded in Scripture. That's what I love about Scripture. It's so honest. God didn't hide any of the, you know, bad parts. So... But we learn from all of it. Verse 17. Wherefore the sin of the young men, that be the sons of Eli, was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Drop down to 22. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I mean, that's just shocking in Scripture, right? They laid with women. They had sexual relations with women at the temple door. And Eli heard of it. And once again, that's all it says, right? He heard of it. Let's keep reading. We'll see what he does about it. This is, where, this, this, is, this is amazing. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father. Well, no doubt, he gave them a little talking to. You've got to be kidding me. I'm sorry, if I heard my sons were doing that, I'd probably beat the crap out of them. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm serious. I'm like, that's insane. I mean, I might go to jail, but that is insane that that actually happened. Um, I'm just, I'm I'm, I'm abhorred reading that, that that's all they got. It'd be way more than a talking to. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it would look like, but... It wouldn't be pretty. It wouldn't be pretty. But uh, look in uh, chapter 3. That's why it's dangerous to record me. I think I just said crap. <laughs> um, yeah, I probably uh, twice now. I'm sorry. You know what? Just so you know, that came from Thomas Crapper. He invented the toilet. So really, it's, 
I don't know if you knew that. That's a little, so it's really not a bad thing. But anyway, I'm digging myself a bigger hole, aren't I? Okay, let's just move on. Verse 13. For I have told him, this is the Lord uh, speaking here. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth. Because he did know about it. Because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. He didn't restrain them. Stop them. I mean, good grief, at least remove them from their positions. But he didn't restrain them. And uh, that's our job as parents. We've got to learn these lessons uh, that Eli obviously didn't. He, he didn't discipline them. He didn't restrain them. Okay, and so that's why I want to turn to uh, well, the next bullet point. I've, there's no blank, but the importance of chastening and the rod. And we've got to turn to these verses, and I'm sorry, but Proverbs, uh, we might know them, but some of us might not, but we're going to read them all. 1918. Still remember when I was a young parent and a pastor went through this with me. Changed everything. Changed everything about how I was going to parent. I was going to obey that book because there's no, I mean, if God said to do it, I'm going to do it. And it didn't feel good as a parent to do it the way God said to do it, I'm just telling you. It sometimes, it just, it's a whole lot easier to not do it God's way. But I, I did it God's way. Verse 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. If I'm telling you, if you're not going to follow through with chasing him because your children cry, they're going to learn that real quick, and they're going to be very good at crying. And they're going to they're learn that real quick, I'm telling you. Okay, verse, uh, let's see, Proverbs 23, verse 13. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. And that's my job as a parent. I am not, I mean, over my dead body will my kids go to hell. Really. Amen. And that's, that's really what our attitude should be. We, we needed to have that attitude with our children. Because the world wants them i promise you they want them and they are uh and it's relentless the principalities and powers are after your children satan cometh not but for to steal kill and destroy your children my children us so we better be ready we want to deliver them from hell and it starts with the rod uh chapter 29 verse 15 the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. That's what Eli's children, they were left to themselves. Jacob's older sons left to themselves and they bring their mother and their father to shame if you do that. Um, one more verse, we didn't, it's not on your sheet, but chapter 13, verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him b-times. That means a lot. My kids have gotten it b-times. And they have. But uh, anyways, I want, I want to stress first of all when you're chastening them, when you are spanking them, and uh, how to do it. it. It should really be on the backside. It should be on the butt. I think it was made for that very purpose. Plenty of uh, extra tissue there. But, uh, you know, so be careful. It's not talking about slapping them in the face. Not ta talking about, you know, just don't be beating them like the world calls beating them. But biblically spanking them, can, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a number of good books out there, and I'm going to tell you about a couple of them here. But uh, first of all, when you spank them, I first of all, always deal with attitudes 
and uh, rebellion. Always dealing with the heart, guys. Look for that. That's what you're spanking. Don't, don't try to modify their behavior. You're trying to change their heart. Okay? So that's the whole point. And I brought... Uh, we had uh, two different methods that we used. And Cameron got method number one. <laughs> this is too small for him. We would, we would need one now. And then Elliot got method number two. I, I bring this up because I think it's important. Uh, you know, we, we made some mistakes, honestly. I'll be honest. As parents with Cameron, uh, bless his heart, uh, both Melly and I, bless his right behind, actually, that's what happened. You know, we were using the wooden spoon, and it was probably a little longer than this. But, you know, this is a pretty blunt object. And when we were spanking him, and, you know, our camera needed a few. So did Elliot, so I'm not trying to differentiate. They both needed their share. But I'm telling you what, when we'd spank Cameron, there were a couple times that, you know, he had some bruises on his butt. And it was embarrassing, and I was broken over it. You know, I was freaked out that, you know, I remember talking to Cameron. Cameron, if someone ever tells you, you, you can't let anybody go to the bathroom with you right now. You got some, you know, and I'm like, I, I don't want to lose you. Uh, didn't we, Mel? It's embarrassing. I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest. And, uh, you know, we made some mistakes, and I, I hate that we did that to him because the, there's a way to not do that, and that's with this, the rod. And I'm telling you, I learned this from a book by uh, Michael and Debbie Pearl called To Train Up a Child. I would highly recommend you getting that book and, and following that. But they, these are dowel rods. They come in all different sizes. This is the latest that we've had to use. Uh, but, uh, but it's nice. I mean, it's, it'll hurt you. And, uh, but the nice thing is, is it doesn't leave anything but a red mark. And, uh, and I'm telling you, you can make Elliot dance. Uh, but I honestly, I haven't had to spank Elliot in quite some time. We, we've, uh, he's 15, but, uh, not saying I'm not willing. I am. Uh, but uh, there are other methods that you can use as they get older, and you've got to be out, you gotta outsmart your children. You know, honestly, we're smarter than them. We are. We've lived longer. We know how to uh, achieve the results that we need, but it doesn't mean you don't withhold the rod from them. But I tell you that, they're, they're smaller ones. I would highly recommend you start when they're one, two, and three with much smaller, much thinner ones, and you should do it on their behind. And I'm telling you what, they'll shape up real quick. They'll, they'll get it real quick. But anyways... That's what I wanted to bring that in and just, you know, if someone can be a uh, benefit from that, uh, I hope it helps somebody because Melly and I made some mistakes, I felt like, and if I wish, I, if I could do it over again, Cameron, you'd get a lot of the rod, let me just tell you. <laughs> and I love that it's called a dowel rod. It's just biblical, right? The rod. So anyway, uh, the, another book I wanted to share with you that I think every parent should read, and uh, it's called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. I'm telling you, phenomenal little book great resource and uh honestly if you're a grandparent you ought to read it if you haven't read it yet too so just a great it's a great little book great reference because that's what we're trying to do shepherd their heart to follow the lord we're not trying to modify behavior so when you modify behavior you're trying to make you look good but when you're shepherding their heart you're trying to make god look good that's the difference um so the next example i want to talk about was the example of abraham uh, Abraham in Genesis 22, we don't need to turn there. I think we're all quite familiar with that story. But uh, Abraham was told to go sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac, the one of promise, the child of promise. And he was to go and sacrifice him. Good grief, you've got to be kidding me, right? Uh, that's a huge deal. 
But what it shows is that Abraham didn't make a God out of his kid. He let God be God. He under, you know, Moses hadn't written the Ten Commandments yet at that point, but you know what? He was putting God first, and it was all about God. And uh, go to, I need you to go to Matthew 10. We've got to look up this verse. And we're not going to finish the study sheet today, and that's okay, because I can finish it next week. But we are going to finish this section on parenting. Matthew 10. This is quite the convicting verse here. Verse 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's why you can't make a God out of your children. And uh, that's why Abraham's example is very good. And you better be willing to have Abraham's heart towards your children. And it's going to follow into the next point of we must restrain them rather than provide for their sin. The example being the prodigal son. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 15. We've got to see this. Luke chapter 15. Look in verse 13 if you would. And not many days after... Well, I should read verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. He gave him his portion of the inheritance. He's like, hey, can I have it now, dad? Sure. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. You've got to highlight. No man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to, and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have what? Sinned against heaven. Not against you, Dad. Against heaven. And before thee. Also before you, Dad. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. I'm telling you, why'd the guy go home? Because no one gave to him. Because he ran out of money. And I'm telling you what, we cannot be providing for our children's sin if you want them to return to the Lord. I mean... I'm sorry, I've made it very clear in my house. You want to walk away from God, you walk away alone. You walk away on your own dime. I'm not funding anything at that point. And, um, and I just think that's biblical. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to provide for your sin. I, I love you. I'm ready at a moment's notice for you to come home just like, the, just like that father is. I would rejoice and I'll give you it all. But you're not getting a dime if you're going to mock my God and be, in my, be my, my son. Or my daughter, but I don't have one of those. But. Uh, anyways, I just want you to know, the reason he came to his senses, came to himself, and returned home was he ran out of money. We need to stop funding sin. Um, I just, uh, you know, it's just t too many people, honestly, they tie up their dog at night, but they, you know, let their children run free. Honestly. It's, uh, I just, you know, part of my job uh, as uh, an engineer at ODOT I review every fatal crash that happens on a state route in our little area, okay? Well, uh, 
I was at a meeting and we were reviewing one of these uh, recent fatalities that happened and it was a 17 year old kid and it was uh, at like two in the morning and he was coming home from a party when, when he was drunk, completely smashed as a 17 year old. And, uh, and I wanted to say, where's his parents? Because really, you know, I'm gonna, the reason we review them is to look at things we can do as engineers on the roadways to try to, you know, fix them up, make them safer. If there's guardrail that might, maybe needs to be there, the, dip, d the ditch is too deep and they ran off and flipped their car. Well, maybe we can add some guardrail or something. You know, we try to look at the pavement markings, whatever. I'm boring myself talking about it, honestly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the facts are, I wanted to know where that kid's parents were because that's amazing to me that, you, you know, I've told my kids from the get-go, nothing good happens after midnight. I can almost tell you 90% of the fatalities happen after midnight. All, boy, in our area, almost all of them, they're drunk and or not wearing their seatbelt. Do what you want with your seatbelt, but I'd highly recommend it. Uh, but I'm just telling you, it's just amazing. I just, restrain your kids. Keep them home. Get their little tails home by a certain hour because they'll be a whole lot better off. There's nothing good happening after midnight. You know, there's a reason it's the darkness. That's where sin happens, in the dark. Not in the light, in the dark. So, restrain your kids. Okay, and remember the end game. Remember the end game, and it's that our children walk in truth and fear God. That's the end game. We are not after their happiness. I mean, I, I want them to be happy, yes, I'm their dad. I get that. But honestly, I'm only going to be really happy as if they walk in truth and fear God. And uh, look in 1 John chapter 3. Or, nope, nope, 3 John. There is no chapter 3 there. Just 3 John. And look in verse 4. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. 3 John 4. I rejoice greatly that I found... Oops, I'm in 2 John. Sorry. It's also a good verse there, though. Uh, 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. But I'm telling you what, the reverse is also true, so beware. I have no greater sorrow than to hear that my children don't walk in truth. And that is so true, and I think we can all attest to that as parents. When we've heard that our children are not walking in truth, it breaks our heart. And we are grieved, and we want to deal with that. And we do. And... Uh, but I'm telling you what, I don't have any greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. No greater joy. You hear that, Cameron? I'm telling you, it's true. So, um, Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, you know, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man, and it is true. You better fear God and teach your children to do that. And that rod will help that. I promise you it will help that. Okay. Um, let's see. God gives dads the title of father, which is no small thing considering his title, which is our heavenly father. Um, you are never commanded to be your child's friend. Ever in the Bible is it commanded to be that. Don't buy into this bunkum from the world. I like that word, bunkum. That's a Leonard Ravenhill word. But it kind of means that word I said earlier twice. But I should have used that. So I'm telling you what, it is a, it's a great word. But, you know, it's not to say that you can't be a friend. That might be, you know, fine as you're an adult, you're, you're their friend. But I'm telling you what, I've told Cameron, and I'm going to tell Elliot, I'm always going to be your father first. You will always probably be reproved by me. 
rebuked by me and exhorted by me to, 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 to love the Lord, to walk with the Lord. And it's just the way it goes. You know, if you want a friend, make your own friends. I'm going to be your friend, but I'm first and foremost your father. And Melanie's going to be their mother forever. And that's our job. That's what we're commanded to in Scripture. And that's what I love about the fifth commandment. It says to honor your father and mother. It doesn't say anything about be friends with your children. Uh, it's, you, you command them and teach them to honor you. It's important. Um, let's see, just a couple of you know, important tips. That I, these are just real practical uh, for parenting tips. But uh, you know what? I would recommend always being on the same page, mom and dad together. Always, always, always. Even if the one is wrong and you watch them doing it wrong, I'm telling you, bite your tongue in front of your kids and talk to them later, quietly, privately about it. Don't let your kids ever think there's any hope of getting a division between you and your spouse. Always, always, always be on the same page. Um, I, I, I say that's so vital because, oh my goodness, it's just, they're going to drive a truck through any crack they can, and they will. And uh, uh, anyways, number, number two, the, or it's not on your sheet, but I would also teach your children from the very beginning, as they're little, to respond verbally to all your commands. Verbal, make them respond verbally with a yes sir, a yes ma'am, a yes mom, a yes father, yes papa, whatever you want to do, make them respond verbally from the beginning. It's just practical, not in the Bible. I'm just telling you, it's a whole lot easier for them. It's a, it's a whole lot easier for you as dad and mom to read their heart and their attitude when they're responding verbally versus you say, hey, go clean your room and they go, you know what? They just rebelled against you with their heart, but you couldn't hear it and you didn't choose to make them verbally respond. But if they verbally respond with, yes, dad, you heard it. Now you can deal with it because it needs to be yes, dad, or yes, father, or whatever it is. Yes, sir, whatever you want to teach them in your home. Um, just that's a practical tip because uh, I'll be honest, we didn't do that in our home. But I've tried to correct it from the get-go and I'm trying to do it now. And it's hard to reverse that which you didn't start in the beginning. So that's just a little tip for uh, those that aren't parents yet or new parents. I'm telling you, start it right away. Um, okay, got to wrap this up. We're going to finish this section and we'll have to put everything else on the next week. But it's the parents' responsibility to disciple their children. You've got to look at that as your responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. Not at all. Not at all. And I love discipleship. I am not dissing that at all in fact dan archinal is discipling i think he's in here but he or was but he's discipling my son elliot i love it i love that he's doing it and we're trying to be as faithful as we can to that and we're, we're, we're more than probably two-thirds through and uh i'm just loving that he's doing that and, and tommy uh, clayco is discipling my son cameron i love that they're doing that you know what they're doing they're helping me disciple my children because that's all that it can be, be well, i mean thankfully they have a believing father and a believing mother now Granted, if you don't have one of those, it is what it is, but uh, that's where the church can come alongside. And if your mother and father forsake you, the Lord will take you up, the Bible says. But uh, I'm telling you, it has always been my responsibility, and I've never, never shirked that or thought that's somebody else's. Um, and I, I honestly, I've been relentless on a number of things in my house from day one, and Cameron can attest to this. And I'm going to list some of the stuff that I've been relentless on. And, uh, and my kids were going to know why on each of these things, too. Not just the what, but why. And one of them was that evolution is a myth and a religion. 
And I wanted them to know that from the beginning because I knew they were going to be bombarded with it in school. And I've been relentless. Have I not, Cameron? Yeah. I'm not going to let him buy into the crap. Oh, there I go again. Uh, the bunkum <laughs> that is evolution. And I'm telling you, it is, it is wrong. And then the other thing is the Bible is the perfect Word of God and can be found in the authorized version and that we hold in our very hands. And I've made sure that it's not just something I say. I've taught him why and I've taught Elliot why. And I'm going to continue to teach them why. I'm not going to let them be fooled by the world. I refuse to allow that to happen. That's my job to teach them that. I'm not going to wait till church history is taught here. It's my job. And they know why. And if they don't just know that this is it, they, won't, they, they could defend it or they better know how and I'm going to still work on Elliot. He's probably, he's working on it though. He's, he's good. We met last summer on that whole issue and we're going to keep doing that. But they're going to know that. Number three, and never, and I mean never, touch alcohol or drugs. And I've taught them that. And I've taught them why. I don't need to go into that. It's a whole other message. We might do that at some point, but probably not in here. But you never know. I could probably work it in somewhere. Number four. And that's God hates all sin and demands holiness. Uh, that's really what it is. He hates all sin. He's not happy with sin. He's angry with the wicked every day. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to just say, well, God loves you. He does love them. So much so that he died on a cross and judged his own son for their sin and my sin. And he hated it so much that his wrath poured out upon Jesus on that cross. He hates sin and he loves holiness. And without holiness, no man will see the Lord, the Bible says. So I've made sure that was it. And then, and this, I can't tell you how many times I've told my kids this. Every time they leave me, I'm like, listen. And how many times I told you this, Cameron? Listen to your conscience. Listen to your conscience. God gave it to you. If something's happening around you and you're like, no, this doesn't seem right, get out. Call us. I say it to Elliot all the time. Listen to your conscience. It'll work for you if you don't sear it, uh, if, you, if, you, if you allow it to be alive. Listen to your conscience and then get out, call us. Don't let, not, every time Elliot goes away from us, I'm, also, I'm always so worried about somebody pulling up their phone and showing something to Elliot on the phone that you know, he doesn't have any access like that, but I'm like every one of his friends does, and all it takes is one idiot friend to say, hey, have you seen this? And I'm like, if you see it, look away as fast as you can. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, but uh, I'm telling you what, there's, it's more addicting than heroin, I'm telling you. You better be careful on that. And uh, we're going to talk more of that in detail. But those are just some of the things. Those are just five things that I could think of off the top of my head, honestly, as I was studying for this. And lastly, never give up, and it will be a battle that must be fought. Never give up. It's a battle that must be fought. L Luke 22, uh, Peter uh, was, it's, uh, Jesus said to Peter, Satan desired to sift you as wheat. And in Ephesians 6, it says there's an evil day coming. There's an evil day coming, and it's coming for your kids coming for you but you better prepare them for that evil day and uh i'm telling you we must persevere in this it is our calling as parents it's our calling as grandparents and daggone it i didn't go to that verse i want to go there we're going to end with deuteronomy chapter four look in chapter four and verse nine Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. That'd be your grandchildren. It's your job to teach them that. According to Scripture, look in Deuteronomy 6, and we will end with this. Verse 7. 
And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. All the time. All the time you're supposed to teach them. That's why, you know, times, you know, your kids might say, Dad, I just, wanted, I just wanted to be my friend. And it's like, well, I can't be. I have to do this. I ha- I'm training you. I have to teach you all the time. And you can do the same to your kids. And I'll help you with your kids because that's what I'm commanded to do too. But uh, that's our jobs as parents. And I'm sorry we only got through the first point. But honestly, the title of the message was Early Years in Family Life. So that was really the main thing. We'll, we'll deal with the rest of the chapter uh, next week. So let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for just the, the lessons we learned just even about.